Um, last week when I talked, I talked about the Women's March that happened last week and that I participated in and many people here participated in and many people around the world participated in. And um, I, you know, I don't always plan way in advance what I'm going to speak about. When I was thinking about it today, uh, I was asking people, some people called me up and I said, what should I talk about? And they said, well, talk about the protests that are happening at the airports and talk about the, the uh, political situation. And I said, I've been talking about that. And it seems like we might be talking about that for a while uh, because it's part of our life and it's part of practice. And um, there have been, um, we have a new president and the new president is making a lot of very, uh, uh, I don't, I forget what they're called, executive orders. He's giving a lot of executive orders, which works really well for a kind of re reality TV presidency, because you just get it out there as if it's real, even though the consequences are not for sure, but it sounds good from that perspective, meaning it sounds like you're doing something you said you would do. And, uh, and of course, because of the immediacy of information and movement of information and the smallness of the world, those executive orders go out very quickly and have a lot of impact on people. Whether they actually will have impact or not, it doesn't matter. It impacts our hearts and minds immediately. And so some of you may have felt that in the last few days, some of the impact of the, you know, presidency and the executive orders and uh, attempting to fulfill the uh, promises of a political campaign. <clears throat> and so somebody called me today and who'd been to some protests in New York City and uh, both at the airport there and then also at one of the courthouses in New York. And they were very upset because they are feeling um, a little bit powerless. Even though they're doing some things, they're feeling like, oh, there's not enough that they could do. They didn't feel like they could do enough. And so they were feeling kind of helpless and overwhelmed was what they said. And then somebody else uh, later called and, and uh, they'd just flown back from Los Angeles and um, he was telling me about um, what it was like to be at the airport and then t to see some of the demonstrations, right? Some of the protests against the executive orders about immigration and uh, letting people in the country or not. And, um, and how it went against his, the actions that were happening went against his values as an American. And, um, and so his question was, well, what do I do? And uh, how long do I wait to do something more active, more drastic, given I'm not happy with what's happening? And he was saying how, how um, how long should I let myself remain comfortable or not, given that 
Sometimes the order may affect us and sometimes it may not. And then I got an email from somebody who's in a training that I've been teaching, a Buddhist training for the last few years. And I'll read you a little bit of the impact on this person who who's not doesn't live in America, right? And so he said, I was ready to buy my flights for the ticket, uh, my flight ticket um, to the retreat when Trump's ban happened and the relationship between the Mexican and U.S. administration got more and more unstable. And he, he's Mexican. And he said, we're hearing rumors about Trump's wish to ask Mexicans to acquire a new visa and go through a whole new and more rigorous process of scanning. And then he wrote, he said, as you know, there is something in my record of, vis of visiting countries which makes the customs officers take me to a second screening every time I visit the U.S. Maybe because of the time I spent in India and other Asian countries, and I am now uncertain about in attending the retreat, considering the probable changes to come. I wanted to ask your thoughts about what I am perceiving. You think it is safe to continue with the plan to attend the last retreat, or could you would you suggest for me to wait and see what happens in the next month? While I write this, I realize there are some feelings of fear, weakness, and uncertainty regarding this trip. And so you hear how the impact is happening for people, both people who are here who are um, registered Americans, meaning like most of us, I would imagine, we're all registered. Is everybody here a registered American? Like all of you? Like I am, right? We're, we're all registered Americans, right? And so that's a different experience for people who aren't registered Americans but are coming from another country, right? And of course, when I say registered, it means we're American citizens, but we're registered in that way. And so <clears throat> um, it seems like we're going to have a certain kind of retreat for the next four years that we're all going to be participating in, whether we know it or not. Meaning whether it's in the foreground of our experience or it's in the background of our experience, it's the structure that we'll be living in that will be part of our practice for the next four years. And so the people who, who called me earlier today are both practitioners and younger folks in, the, in their 20s, and they're really trying to see, okay, what do I want to do, and how do I want to respond, and what does it mean to practice now? <clears throat> and how do I work with the fear that's happening, or how do I work with the anger that's happening, or how do I work with the hatred that's happening, or how do I work with not knowing what to do to have an impact? which was really underneath a lot of what the calls I was getting and the responses like from this gentleman who said, you know, I don't, I don't know what to do. Should I come or not come as being part of practice when practice is part of dealing with the living reality of day-to-day -day life? And so 
practice Practice is the same no matter what's happening. The practice is one of a liberating potential of reality that is possible for us as human beings, not based on the conditions of our life. This is one of the paradoxes of Buddhism, meaning the Buddha, sometimes he used different words to talk about Nibbana or nirvana. He, he used the word liberation, or sometimes he called it the sure heart's release. And sometimes he called the state of nibbana, nirvana, the unconditioned. The unconditioned. Because it was pointing at a state, a state of freedom that is not based on the conditions Right? Because conditions go up and down, conditions change. Conditions are good sometimes, and conditions are not good sometimes. And so practice is a 24-7 practice, not dependent on the conditions. And having said that, practice then can give us a grounding in a freedom or an awakening or an awareness that allows our intelligence and our heartfulness and our kindness and our capacities to navigate the conditioned to come forward and respond to reality day by day, moment by moment, week by week, year by year. Sharon Salzberg says it this way. She said, loving kindness and compassion are the basis for wise, powerful, sometimes gentle, and sometimes fierce actions that can really make a difference in our own lives and in the lives of others. And she's just, she said, loving kindness and compassion are the basis for wise, powerful, sometimes gentle, and sometimes fierce actions that can really make a difference. And so our practice is important no matter what's happening so we can actually respond in a wise way, in a kind way, in a heartfelt way, and in a, in a free way. I think I shouldn't tie those two words freeway together, but it happens sometimes. <clears throat> One of my teachers, and a lot of people, and the people I was talking to today were actually very angry about what's happening. I don't know if anybody here has felt any anger about what's <laughs> happening. You could raise your hand. It's okay to be angry at a Buddhist group. You don't have to be, but it's fine. And so then how to practice with anger and hatred and being pissed off becomes part of practice. Doesn't mean something Oh, you have to get rid of. Here's... Um, Learning to hold your hatred, to be with it, feel it as much as possible from the inside and the outside. This is from one of my teachers. 
seek to know hatred, to feel the energy of it, to feel the power of it. So, so this is from Hamid Ali, and he's saying, oh, be with the living experience of what we call anger and hatred, and really feel the liveness of it. Don't just get caught up in the ideas of it, and don't just get caught up in the, any self-judgment you have about feeling it. S actually start to get closer to the living experience. And he says, seek to, to know it, to feel the energy of it, feel the power of it. And then in, until you're finally able to feel it completely in its full energy, in its power. And if you do not obstruct it through judgment or rejection, the hatred, the anger will, just like anything else that arises in your experience, in our consciousness, naturally reveal its own nature. It will naturally reveal its own nature. It will dissolve, leaving what is true. And what truth turns out to be is, and, and that, excuse me, it will dissolve, leaving what is true. And that truth turns out to be essential power, the power of truth and peace and stillness. And this is the immense and silent power to be. And so, and I'm, in, I'm happy to include that because the people I spoke to today and many of us feel a little bit powerless or helpless about what's going on. And so we get angry sometimes or get pissed or get really mad about it, but we lose touch with our power. And what he, Hamid is pointing at is that when we actually open to the energetic aliveness reality of the experience, it can start to reveal a whole nother level of power that is based, that is the power of truth and peace and stillness. And this is the immense and silent power to be. And it's the power of being itself and it's what's pointed at in all the great um, mystical teachings and, and Buddhist teachings that point to something that is referred to as true nature or in Buddhism, Buddha nature, or the unconditioned, that there's something here, already here, that is made real or is realized by through our practice and through our staying present, not just with good things, but with everything, with what we like and with what we don't like, with the totality of the human experience that reveals the potential that human beings have to wake up. <clears throat> and so, and I was thinking about the fear that people were talking about, and there's a great word in Buddhism, there's, there's a, there's a lot of great words in Buddhism. So one great word, of course, is a bodhisattva, and I use that term a lot. A bodhisattva is an awakening being, and it's someone who's committed to awakening for the benefit of all. They're not just awakening for themselves. They're awakening so that everybody can awake. And it's collective practice, it's sangha practice, it's communal practice, it's the fact we're all here together no matter what we're all here together. And, and then there's another term, similar term to bodhisattva called the mahasattva. Maha usually means great. 
but when I was looking it up, it said maha, maha also means fearless. A mahasattva is a bodhisattva, this is my translation now, is a bodhisattva who's fearless. And it's the fearlessness that's possible for us as human beings. And it was said, this is by Red Pine, who's a Zen teacher. He said, normally mahasattva is interpreted quite literally as great being. However, the term was first applied not to humans, but to lions, and only later to those who had the courage of the king of the beasts, of king of animals, the lions. Hence, it was used to suggest the difficulties facing those who set forth on the bodhisattva path, as well as to praise them for their sure direction and aspiration. They become, one becomes fearless when one gives oneself to the Dharma because there's no other place to go. This is the Dharma. Donald Trump is the Dharma, right? I know that's really a bad way to say it, but it's the truth. He is. Donald Trump, whoever it is, you know, Vladimir Putin is the Dharma. Whoever it is, I could say the worst people who ever lived, whether it was Stalin or Hitler or, or Attila the Hun or whoever it is who's your worst, right? They're all part of the Dharma because reality is where the Dharma is. It's not somewhere outside of reality. <clears throat> and so practicing with our anger becomes part of our practice especially when we're engaged in real life and political life because you notice political life isn't just all friendly has everybody got that right like politics people don't like each other in politics and it seems to have gotten more pronounced in inside this country, at least over my lifetime. I mean, when I grew up, you didn't like people, but it wasn't so vitriolic. It wasn't so mean as it, it ha it's become in the last uh, 20 years. It's really been interesting. At least it could be that I'm just naive and I didn't know about it earlier, but I remember a lot of politicians, you know, from Eisenhower and Kennedy and Nixon and, and people I didn't like, no doubt about it, but still it wasn't quite, it wasn't so us and them hatred. It, there wasn't so much hatred going both ways. At least that could be my mistake, but that's how I remember it. And so anger becomes part of our practice, not just something we believe. Right? It becomes part of our practice. And we want to see if we can wake up with the anger, not by denying the anger or acting on the anger necessarily. And so Sayadaw Utejaniya says, when through observing our anger we truly understand the suffering that it always causes us, when through observing our anger, being aware of our anger, we truly understand the suffering that it causes us, it will become easier to feel compassion whenever we are confronted with an angry person. Because <clears throat> we can see they're acting out of fear or they're acting out of their reactivity. 
And it doesn't mean we agree with them or we're going to go along with them or that we're not even going to stop them at times. But it does mean we start to see their humanness even when we totally don't agree with them. We're not throwing it outside of the greater Sangha. Although you may have that reaction sometimes. And this, this was in the newspaper today, for those of you who still read newspapers. Um, this was in the Chronicle, but from former Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger. He said, I said to myself at one point, you know, maybe I should just go back east and just, you know, hit his head against the table or something like that. This is actor Arnold Schwarzenegger on his Twitter battle with President Trump. Right. So, you know, and you know, he's, he did pretty well in politics, Schwarzenegger, even though I didn't vote for him personally. Uh, but he's also having his reaction to things. <clears throat> And so um, people always often ask the Dalai Lama about his way of dealing with his anger and his reactions to having his whole country taken over and to having his people um, uh, scattered all over the world because they had to leave Tibet when the Chinese government took over. And he said, he said, people everywhere in the world are very inspired, or this is, actually this is an interview with him, and somebody said, people everywhere in the world are very inspired by your refusal to give in to anger or despair or revenge about the situation in your country. People are very inspired about your refusal to give in to anger or despair or revenge about the situation in your country. In this country, we can display more anger about a car that pulls out in front of us on the highway than you do about China. We see that for you, this has something to do with deep religious training. Can you get so far away from that kind of anger that we experience every day? And the Dalai Lama says, in my own case, if the car is delayed, I am also irritated. But for more serious things, perhaps I have more patience and calm. And so he's pointing at, so he's a human being. He has his reaction, especially when his car gets pulled over on the freeway and he can't go get to where he's going. But, but for something big, something else kicks in, right? That's based on his training and his understanding, which is a kind of patience and calm because he sees the big picture. He sees the overarching picture of how history works and how history has worked in his country and the countries surrounding it, meaning China. And um, yeah. <clears throat> and so for us to practice now is to practice 
just like we were doing earlier, just sitting here, just being with our own living experience, thoughts, feelings, sounds, taste, touch, and the spaciousness of the awareness that knows each thing, and starting to get a little more relaxed with that part of our experience that we're not doing. And when I say that, I mean the awareness itself, because we're not doing the awareness. It's happening all on its own. And of course, I always like to encourage you, if you don't agree with me, then please stop being aware and see how much control you have over that capacity, if any. Because I don't think we have any control. I don't think we can stop being aware. We can start stop being aware of what we're aware of, but we can't stop being aware. And so it's pointing us at something we're not often aware of, which in Buddhism is, has to do with not-self. There's self here and there's not-self here also. And part of understanding not-self is having a taste of the freedom that's inherent in who and what we are. <clears throat> And the other piece that I was talking about with people was about um, not knowing what to do. And we don't always know what to do, even with the Dharma, even with practice. And so sometimes practice is called just sitting. It's called, not called just doing. It's called just sitting. What does it mean to sit with things when we don't know what to do? And can we do that? Can we be aware of the not knowing or the, the unsurety of what to do or what's needed or what's right or what the next action is? Because what I was hearing today from people was, I, I need to do something right now. And I'm like, well, I don't know if, there's, if you're ready to do something. I don't know what the right thing is to do right now. And there, there was a lot of um, political history associated with that view and really accurate political history. One of the people I talked to, let's see where I put that. He was saying, do I wait or do I act now? And he was talking about really, he wanted to do something. He said, because people aren't being led into the country who need to be here, who, who are dealing with all kinds of suffering in their country, and they're trying to be free of that, and they need help. And he, and, and, um, he said, do I wait or do I act now? And he said, what about what happened in Germany? What about, you know, because people were comfortable for a long time, even though something not good was happening. And he was talking about World War II, pre-World War II Germany, and what, what happened there. And he said, and he said the same is gonna, can happen here in America. Some of us will be comfortable, and some of us won't be comfortable. And what do we do then? And how much do we just lean into our comfortability like many Germans did, because they were comfortable. 
or other people around the world didn't do anything because they were comfortable. And, and when do you act? Because if you just stay comfortable, even worse shit is going to happen. And that was his concern. <clears throat> and of course, I don't have an answer for that, right? Because each person here, each of us personally has to find our answer for when is it time to respond, when is it time to act, and then seeing how we can do that individually and collectively. But it's not, there's no, there's nobody printing out the right answer at the right time when it comes to history and when it comes to politics and it comes to acting skillfully and kindly and fiercely at times. And so not knowing becomes part of our practice. And Alan Watts said it this way, he said, Ir irrevocable commitment to any religion is not only intellectual suicide, it is positive unfaith because it closes the mind to any new vision of the world. Faith is, above all, openness and an act of trust in the unknown. And so part of what practice asks us to do is trust our not knowing when it's here and to sit with it, but not from a distance, but actually sit right in the middle of it and to feel it and to keep our eyes open about what's true and what's here and what's our reactivity and what's not our, what's our intelligence, what's our wisdom. Utejaniya, Sayadaw Utejaniya, he says, whenever you get the feeling of not knowing what to do, just wait. Whenever you get the feeling of not knowing what to do, just wait. Don't do anything. And that's a, that's a great Buddhist teaching, and sometimes even that Buddhist teaching is not the right Buddhist teaching. Sometimes one has to act also. And as in the time that I talked to this young man uh, today, at some point before, while I was working on the talk later and I was thinking about this, I went online and I, and I don't, I'm not a big social media guy and I consider everything online social media, to be honest. Um, um, and so I don't, I'm not keeping up moment by moment with the news. I, I don't find that helpful or skillful, not for my state of heart and mind. And um, I want to know the worst things, and I want them to know them succinctly. I want to know the good things too, but what I'm saying is I don't want to hear everybody's opinion about everything, because what we're getting in social media is we're getting everybody's view everybody's fear, everybody's anxiety, everybody's opinion, everybody's belief. And, and of course, everybody's acting like their thing is totally true. And you know, it has its relative truth, it doesn't have ultimate truth. And so, and so I did, but I did go online, I just said, okay, I'll look at the New York Times, I wanna see what's happening. And I look at the New York Times and now it says, that the Trump administration says green card holders are okay, they won't be barred, and then the judge blo blocks the Trump order on refugees 
because of chaos and worldwide outcry, right? And so already, even from the time this young man had been in the, through the airport and to now, everything had changed quite a bit. It was not done. He gave his executive order. It had, it had some effect, uh, but it can't have, it's, and this is just my personal opinion. I'm not saying this is the absolute truth, but Trump is a TV president. Reality TV is how he got elected. And that's how he functions. And that's how he makes his mark in America because we, we are a media culture these days. That's how he got elected. He had no experience as a politician. I mean, doesn't that make any meaning to anybody? <laughs> like, like, don't you need people who know their work to do it well? I mean, this may be my naivete totally, but... Anyhow, so I was happy to see that things have changed quickly. And it was part of what I was saying to the young man, why don't you wait and let's see what's actually happening rather than just the blurbs and the tweets and even the executive orders, which don't have a lot of impact until they're enacted and go through. And. Um, and then I read something else from Robert Reich, Reich who's a writer, a newspaper guy. He said, if we give up on politics, we're done for. If we give up on politics, we're done for. Powerlessness is a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's a beautiful understanding about powerlessness because the people I talked to were feeling powerless. And part of what he's saying, um, Robert Reich, is that don't give up on politics. Get involved. If you're moved by something, if your heart and mind are touched by something, don't just sit there and feel bad. Act. And, you know, and again, I don't like social media, but I did sign up for one thing. And the one thing I sign up for, that we'll see what I think of it, because I'm an opinionated guy. But um, where they send you something every a day or two days, something about what you can do to keep America democratic. And it's different actions to take every day or other day. And it doesn't mean you have to do them every day, but it means you can start being proactive, which is good Dharma practice. Dharma practice is not passivity. It's receptivity and then pro proactiveness, responding wisely to reality. Just like when we're sitting here, you know, if your leg is really hurting too much, after 45 minutes of sitting, it's really wise to move your leg, right? It, being proactive is, has its place in the Dharma. And then also practicing the Dharma can keep freeing us from the small sense of self idea that we have and open us to the unity of the reality we live in together to the, what's called, what Thich Nhat Hanh calls interbeing, or the collective reality that we share together. And I love the 
quote from the Shinshin Ming. Let's see if I can remember what Shinshin Ming means. It means oh, uh, verses from the from the mind of absolute truth. That's what the Shinshin Ming verses from the mind of absolute truth. Also, sometimes translated as verses from the faith mind. And um, and it said if um, to live in uh, awakening means to live in this realization is to be without anxiety about non-perfection. To live in the state of realization is to be without anxiety about non-perfection. Welcome to the human world. It is a world of non-perfection. And really, if I, if I would want to say it a little deeper, I would say it's perfectly non-perfect. So those are my words for tonight. I'm always happy to hear your thoughts, feelings, agreements, disagreements with anything I've said tonight about practice, about the Dharma, about living the Dharma 24-7. Please, and turn the microphone around and remember to introduce yourself, say your name. Uh, my name is Sally and I have a question about anger. Sure, um, and hold the mic up, yeah, like there, great. From the point of view of the hindrances, I, under and I understand uh, aversion is one of the hindrances of anger. It's hard for me. I have a lot of anger, and I have a lot of judgment around that anger, and I understand that that judgment is kind of holding the anger in place and feeding it. So it's this yeah. struggle, internal it, struggle. So, yeah. But, and part of it is because I understand that anger is unwholesome. Now, I also understand that if you recognize it as a hindrance, and you're aware of it, and you're not in denial, and you're experiencing it, then then it's wholesome. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. No, what you're saying is, it, I appreciate what you're saying, because you're saying, I have anger, I have plenty of anger. Uh, I've also heard it called a uh, hindrance, which, you know, you could say that. It's aversion is the hindrance. Anger is an emotion and an affect and a mood and an energy. And that's the piece we want to get closer to not just the ideas of, oh, I'm pissed at him or her or this or that. That's all the content. And, and there may be content that really makes you angry, but you want to be aware of that energetic aliveness that we call anger, because there's a lot of juice there. And then see what happens as that gets freed up. Does that make sense? Yeah, I know. I know that energy. Right. And I, I always get caught up in self-judgment. Right. So get pissed at the judgment. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, really, because the self-judgment is, is an odd psychological component that we have. If I, if I go psychological with you, it's a superego, right? There's the ego. And inside the, inside the bigger sense of self-picture, there's the ego, there's the id, the instinctual energies, and then on top of the ego is the superego. The superego holds the ego in place. Okay. 
And the judging mind is part of the superego. And that self-judgment keeps you static. So that's how selfing comes into it. I, that, I, that's I, how what? Well, I'm going to use the term selfing. Uh -huh, yeah. Yeah, so in other words, it's, it's identifying <coughs> that I shouldn't, as if I could do anything differently. Right, or, or that it's even bad. You're just angry. And you could be aware of the energy of the anger, which, and the awareness is not from a distance, but you feel it, sense it, it's alive. And then that aliveness starts to get liberated, freed up. And then let's see, because it could be a whole nother level of fierceness, like Sharon pointed at, even talking about compassion and kindness, leading to a fierceness that's possible for us. The Buddha was fierce at times. And we don't quote that so much like for the first time you come to Buddhism. But if you look through the, the, the text, he could be totally pissed, boom, like that. And the, the term that's used in Tibetan Buddhism is it's Vajra energy, it's sword-like energy. And all the Asian ancient spiritual traditions knew about warrior energy and the power of warrior energy and the import of warrior energy. And you have some. And let's free it up. Let's sharpen that sword, really, to cut through delusion. And the delusion is the judgment. It, absolutely. Okay. The judging mind is the least helpful component of our psyche I know of. Really, I have... I, because I was going to actually give a quote because one of the people who called me kept judging herself because she didn't know what to do. And I kept saying, judging mind is not going to help, right? That's not what's needed. You may not know what to do, but don't judge yourself, right? And so see what happens if you don't judge yourself this week, okay? Thank you. No, no, be, be fierce about it. Okay, great, please. Uh, hi, my name is Olga. Um, I guess I'll start with the quote, <coughs> like, um, the truth is not gonna change just because you are offended. Just because you what? The truth is not gonna change just because you are offended. Okay. Uh, once you be able to uh, realize this, like, um, and I like um, the way you describe the super ego and, and ego because the other day I was discussing with my friend and the way I, I was describing the ego and super ego is um, um, through the God or your highest power, um, I came up with that um, our highest power serves as a bridge from ego to our true self. Uh, and while you're still attached to ego, you kind of believe in the highest power, but you kind of know, you believe yourself. You're not going to be able to detach from those fears and from the you know, dissociation and disillusion. You have to be able to completely like give your will to the highest power. It's very scary. You're kind of losing your identity, but it's transfer you to your true self. 
then from the true self, your ego is aligned in the right um, alignment. So when the things like this Trump situation happens, you are aware that if you allow your emotions go over the board, you have bored, you actually become very weak and you cannot act in the right time in the right way. You yeah. lose that okay. energy. Okay, slow, slow down, slow down. You're saying a lot here. <laughs> so what, what's the point you're wanting to make? You're saying that there are certain ways if you let your emotions, if you just go with your emotions, you'll lose touch with your deeper sense of self and yes. what's true. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And you actually will not be able like to see the truth. Right. You you lose your so it's part of the reason when we sit, we want to stay with what's actually happening. We're not trying to make up what's happening. We want to stay. If we're feeling angry, then we want to be aware of the anger. We're not just saying, oh, we should be nice and kind and forget it. But but if there's no anger or if there's no reaction or no um, feeling that I'm having, we want to be aware of the no feeling experience also that might be here. We want to stay with the simplicity of what's actually true because that brings a deeper sense of alignment which can then reveal the Buddha nature that is here. And I think like a lot of the times we act so fast, like I was, I had a confused feeling about the women march. Um, just I was connecting with my own experience with that. Um, I think a lot of us, we are not able to stay with our emotions. That's why we kind of want to act fast just to have that result instead right. of actually being with this emotion and learn from it. Like I like the way that you said that yeah. Trump is actually great opportunity to practice Dhamma. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's true. We, we react to our emotions. We believe our emotions. We don't see, oh, there, it's an, a feeling. I'm a, it's an emotion we're having. It may or may not be accurate, right? Or it may be based on our conditions, or it may be based on how we've been conditioned in the past. And so, Again, we're, and that's why I always like to put some emphasis on being aware of the awareness that's aware of the motion. And I say this many times, but I'll say it again. The awareness is not bound to what it's aware of. The awareness is not bound to what it's aware of. And that points us to a certain kind of freedom that's here all the time or that's possible all the time. That may be a better way to say it. Yeah, and I'm actually a green card holder. <laughs> You're a green card holder. Yeah, kind of like when I heard of that, you know, I, I, I was experiencing a kind of fear rising, but I was aware of that. And, you know, then I heard, okay, seven countries, the, the fear start getting less, but then the anger arrived because I started like, okay, if I would, if it would be me, like, I, you know, I. Imagine myself being like a Muslim person, you know, it's like, it's just like being with that feeling and, you know, immediately you want like, go and kill Trump. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. um, so just that, like being aware of that and letting it be as you say, yeah, it's a good practice. Great, great. Yeah, thank you so much.
Thank you. Ben, I'm happy. I thought we were going to have a night. You didn't say something, but. <laughs> Pardon? Yeah, make sure it's right up to your mouth. Is this, oh, yeah, there we go. Yeah, walk closer to it. Okay. Be, be intimate with the mic. Uh, okay, I'll try not to <laughs> Thank say you. too much. Um, okay, yeah, I'm Ben, and, um, you know, I appreciate all that Olga just said. Um, the first thing that she started with was, uh, reality is not going to change just because you're offended. And <clears throat> I had a response ready immediately, which is that reality these days is that more and more people are very visibly offended. And I think that offense actually, and the, the different ways that people handle offense have played a big role in um, a lot of the new kinds of conflicts that have come up, and also a lot in the way this election cycle played out. And that's been really stressful to me, not just because of the, the actual particulars of this election cycle, but also in the basically degradation of public discourse and people's trust in mechanisms of government and the way society works. And also, I'm just pretty fearful about what the internet is doing turning uh, sort of, it seems to accentuate the uh, financial motives of fear-mongering. And basically, there is an incentive for media companies to demote the quality of discourse. And I just am trying to live with that. Um, I'm trying to sort of survive that fear because it destabilizes everything that I know. So seeing the executive orders this week was I kind of view it as a consequence of the previous things that were being destabilized. So that's just been really hard for me. So, you know, uh, there's a number of different ways we can go with what you're saying. Of course, my first dharmic way is how are you practicing with your fear? Because you're having a, a certain kind of fear and anxiety based on what's happened and what's happening. Um, <clears throat> and. Uh, and it could, but I could also go a slightly different way if I just go with the content of what you're talking about, which is it could all get worse and may all get worse. And we don't know how things are going to go. And that's why it's very good to keep one's, be aware, keep one's eyes and ears open, respond as one can skillfully, and then also um, keep practicing no matter what, because shit happens. And we'll see. And we have no, we have very little control over reality, actually. And that's true for almost everybody. We have very little control over reality. And it was, if you read the Buddhist text, and I've said this before, you've heard me say it, but I'm gonna throw it in again. You see the Buddha, um, you know, teaching, and um, 
teaching, you know, awareness and mindfulness and loving kindness and compassion. And then he meets people, part of different um, communities that are going to war, and he talks this one group out of going to war. He stops them and says, wait, think about this, consider this, reflect about this. And they don't go to war. And then he, and then soon after in the text, there's another one where is another group. They're going to war, and he tries to stop them, and they don't want to be stopped. And he lets them go because he can't stop them. And war happens. And so we're living with human reality, and human reality has its pluses and minuses, and has forever and maybe will forever, I don't know. I'm not saying it has to, but so then the question is, maybe one of the questions is, we each have to see what can we do to relieve suffering every which way for everybody, and then also, what do you need to do to keep stabilizing your practice so you can function as skillfully as possible to respond to the difficulties that are here in human life. And this is one of the conundrums we're all working with. Okay, thank you. So we'll sit for a minute before we end. <clears throat> Appreciating the time, the place, and opportunity we have to practice together, to study the Dharma, to practice the Dharma, that there are teachings and that we have the opportunity, the blessings of having the opportunity, may it be for our benefit and for the benefit of one another, and for the benefit of all beings. May all beings be happy and peaceful. May all beings be free from suffering, free from confusion, free from the misunderstanding of our world, of our human world. May we wake up, may all beings wake up, May we be free from suffering. May we wake up to our Buddha nature, the nature of wisdom and compassion. May we learn how to live a skillful, wise, kind human life together. May all beings be free. Good to be with you. Uh, I'll be here next week. Um, one thing I want to add, if there's anything in particular you would like me to talk about, about the Dharma, send me a note. You could send it through the SFI website and I'd be happy to, I'm always happy to hear what people would like.
faith. Pardon? Oh yeah, thank you. Yeah, we're in the sanctuary next week, so if you're ready to be sanctified, please come. We'll see you. If we're, we're there for three weeks uh, because this room then becomes part of the homeless shelter for the church, so. The sanctuary is a big room straight across from here. Just straight across. It's the it's the church. My name is Alex. Alright, let me think. I gotta shut Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.